All right, CGP, are you ready to do this? (laughs) 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 Yep. Power up. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Arena Craft Podcast a show dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. My name is Arjuna. I'm one of your hosts. Joining me on the line is the other wonderful host, Covert, Go Blue. It is he. It is CGB. How are you doing today, my friend? That's my. That's what I do. I, I'm supposed to say it's me. <laughs> it's CGB, or else it doesn't feel like it's me. And people riot, but I mean, you kind of you kind of crushed it. I'm I'm without stuff, but I'm back. He's back. Yeah, I, I'm here now. Did you remove the pickaxe from your forehead? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't. I, I you know the pickaxe, as in I, sometimes I get very bad headaches and I don't feel much like I can make quality content, so I need an hour or two off. That's what you're referring to. It comes and goes. It's something I'm probably going to live with my whole life, um, but don't let it stop you. Your memes must not be dreams. The joys of having a body. So this week, we're going to be talking about little grab bag of things related to mostly to arena matters. There have been, of course, a number of big announcements that have happened this past week. The first and foremost, of course, is the band and companion modification announcement, which was more of really just a cryptic tweet that Wizards made uh, this week saying that something was going to happen this coming Monday. And I'm actually going to uh, release, I'm going to do my best to release this episode early this week so that the discussion that we have around this can actually be interesting and relevant and not just like speculating on history by the time you listen to this. So that's the goal there. Um, Also, as we speak, there are people playing in the arena open right now and they're playing in the best of one format, which... As you may or may not know, both CGB and I enjoy either liberally or in great measure from time to time. So we're definitely gonna <laughs> gonna talk about that. It's how, how do you feel, CGB? Does it feel vindicating? I, I, I I'm conflicted. <laughs> I'm conflicted. I actually have a really good time when I watch people who like like really hate best of one feel like they have to play it because it's hard. And I I think that that is part of the thing that gets lost in it there. I, I, the comments I get and the vibe I usually get when I talk to people and say that I'm a best of one content creator is this level of, Oh, is that because you don't think you could hack it in best of three? And it's like, no, actually I like to punish myself. I, I like to make it harder than it has to be. I like to have zero zero wiggle room you know no room for mistakes there's you get punished so hard in best of one for the smallest mistake you don't get two games and a sideboard to correct if you throw a game and yes you also get punished for rng which i think is the part that a lot of people really dislike if there was an unwinnable game you don't get two games after sideboarding to try to fix it so when i watch people who 
feel like they have to be competitive, but hate on best of one playing best of one. And I hear some of the things that they say. It's like, yeah, I deal with that all the time. Still make content, still do things and actually still enjoy the format, still enjoy something about the perfect 60 that can win from on the play and on the draw in these extreme RNG circumstances. So yeah, I, I love watching it to be honest. Yeah. I, here's the thing. I think that there are a lot of players who, if they were honest with the rest of the world and themselves play more best of one than they let on. Right. Don't, and don't out them. Don't out them. <laughs> don't, don't out they're, them. they're going to boycott the podcast. <laughs> I know. Uh, right. We're the dirty secret. It's okay. You listen, you listen to the arena deckless podcast and you listen, you listen to the bash bros and you're a serious gamer, but in that deep, dark corner, you want, you, you, you do some best of one gaming, don't you? Don't you? And we are your podcast. You don't have to tell people about us, but you can. This is a safe space, right? But I remember I, I was listening to you on stream talking about it and you brought up some really great points, like just things like if you're stuck in a matchup you hate, then you only have to play one game of it, uh, which is a big thing for me. I actually like to enjoy playing Magic and best of one i find tends to be rather enjoyable now of course best of three can be enjoyable too like for example if i have found a deck that i feel like i want to go deep with if i have found a deck where i like the sideboard um where the intricacy of the matchups is interesting to me then sure i'll play best of three and that's great but i mean yeah on on my average like saturday afternoon if i'm just firing up arena and i want to get in some games and kind of take a look at the matter and just think about things. I'm often just playing best of one because it, it's fun. I don't know. It's just good. It's good to drop the F-bomb every now and then and remind Magic players <laughs> why they do it. So yeah, th those are our two main topics today. While we're talking about best of one, why don't we just dive in here? The first thing I wanted to do, CGB, was just congratulate you. You've been like coach number one on the internet these days for getting people into mythic like how how many people have you gotten into mythic so far from your rough estimate with the decks Ooh. that you've shared i don't know um this is definitely the first time this has happened i i would receive in a tweet very rarely every now and then with somebody saying your deck got me to mythic in the past this month it just blew up um it started with the version of Jeskai Luka that cut Sharknado and ran for Elspeth, for mana Elspeth. And I started receiving tweets tagging me on Twitter saying I got to Mythic. And, uh, you know, that's really cool. I would say congratulations and retweet it. And apparently this was enough to snowball. I've done this. I, I know it's over 10 times. I'm not sure if it's over 20. I don't keep track of the number, but it's something I just wake up to now and it's usually two or three people saying i hit mythic with your deck thank you very much and it's a screenshot of their mythicness and it's like wow on one hand i made a very small change to the best deck in the format and i also played four color winota that's the other one that's getting this tweet a lot so i don't believe i deserve a ton of credit for building the decks but i am happy that people are getting there and best of one and that they're fans of the show and if it is your goal to hit mythic then i think that you should take a moment and celebrate when you do and absolutely let me know about it that is really cool 
I was looking at that deck list and I noticed the substitution that you made putting the four Elspeths in the main. And so let me ask you about that quickly, because I think that that will interest our listeners. How did that come about and what was the choice? Was it basically just a hedge against these aggro decks running a bunch of X1 attacking creatures? Or or what was your thought behind that? So the aggro matchup is a very key part of it. Luris and other forms of aggro decks are overrepresented in best of one pretty much at all times. So having a life total that can stabilize and get you out of that situation is very important. The minus five on Elspeth actually matters a lot when the opponent is trying to cat oven you out. There's still a lot of cat oven going on in best of one. Uh, Luris cat oven, which not as big of a thing in best of three. In best of three, the interactive decks that are successful, like Team of Reclamation and Bant Yorion, it often comes down to they might get ahead of you and get a Teferi on the board, but you cycle a Shark Typhoon and you pick it off. Same thing with Narset. You know, They get a Narset down, so your draw is cut off, but you cycle a Shark Typhoon, you pick it off. There's kind of this slow to mid-game section where the person who gets to cycle the Shark Typhoon and take out a Planeswalker gets a pretty big advantage. That is so rare in best of one. Those those types of games just don't happen. Best of one games are like a steamroller, and starting from turn one, you have to start hitting certain beats to succeed. So if you're in best of one, a Shark Typhoon is usually one, like three or four mana to draw a card and chump block, trade something if you're lucky, right? It's just not very good. Whereas Elspeth for four mana, you immediately get a board presence with two chump blockers and a planeswalker, or you can gain life to try to keep from getting burned to death. And that's where it came from. Honestly, the main thing that led to Elspeth was not Elspeth itself. It was Interplanar Beacon. So what I wanted Beacon because I found that, that that card on its own, if you add it to your mana base in best of one, can turn a bad aggro matchup into reasonable. And if you draw two, it's a bloodbath. It's, a, it's an absolute landslide. So I've played these decks to get to Mythic before. Longtime fans will remember the Jeskai for Chandra Awakened Inferno deck that got me to Mythic, I think, two or three months ago. And... Those decks, it was very much about spamming Planeswalkers and a couple of Sweepers to beat up on the aggro decks. And keeping with some of what I learned from that, I wanted Interplanar Beacon in Jeskai Luka. It already runs 12 Planeswalkers. And then I wanted one more Planeswalker. I worked with Kazmina, found it absolutely lacking, just pretty terrible. I worked with Tybalt and Sahili, found those pretty lacking as well. But Elspeth just kept me alive and was also great at pressuring my opponent. And Elspeth replaced Shark Typhoon. Since then, the deck was pretty much destroying everything it came across in Best of One, except for the mirror. And if you're on the play in the mirror, that's usually more important than the actual contents of the deck, whether you have Shark Typhoon or Elspeth. So uh, the people people showing me like 80%, somewhere between 60 and 80% win rates on their untapped GGs has been... Also really fun to look at. Yeah. I think what I liked about it was that you you took a meta deck and you just you changed your fundamental assumptions. Like I think that this happens a lot where people will see a deck, maybe it's just like a main deck for a best of three deck or it's a best of one deck, 
and they'll get in mind that like this is the ultimate build of the deck, right? And if you deviate from this whatsoever, you're weakening your deck or you're, or you're memeing or you're basically just substituting a worse card for a better card. And I, what I liked about what you did with this deck was that you took a look at it and you said, all right, like this deck's cool, but nothing is sacred. And we're in a best of one meta game where there are different things that we just auto lose to. And so we, we need to pinpoint what those things are and, and tune the deck. And so I love that that insight of just saying, I'm going from this mid-game value play to this early mid-game stabilizing play. And I, I think that that's the, the kind of insight which is often a little bit underrated in Magic. And it's why you'll see some people go so much further at a particular tournament or a particular event or on the ladder than other people playing similar decks, right? When you compare the deck list, there's, there's just like three or four, or in, in your case, maybe like how many inter, uh, interplanar beacons are you running? All four. All right. So you basically made like a, an eight card substitution um, and maybe a couple of other tweaks, right? Just one or, you know, a couple numbers different here and there elsewhere. But you've, you've made a fairly substantial tweak to the deck, which has just really changed. It's, it's changed the conversation. It's changed the edge. It's changed the axis upon which the game is running. And you basically identified that keeping your life total high is an important thing to do in best of one. Now, the other deck that you posted that caught my eye was your Laris deck, which was kind of like a budget. It was like your billing as a budget mythic deck. But I think a fair number of people were also reaching mythic playing this deck. Is that correct? Yeah, not as many as the Luca one, but I've definitely heard from a few people that they hit Mythic with the mono white Luris Ginger Brute machine. It's basically like a boggles and standard kind of a thing. Yeah, for the old school players, the hexproof creature with a bunch of enchantments. We don't have the hexproof creature, but we have the protection spells to create hexproof for a turn, like God's Willing and Karametra's Blessing. And yeah, you just suit up the hawk, suit up the brute, show them, show them what's up. Feed them the ginger brute. So one of the things that I like about Laris in standard is that it has, and I guess in historic too, it has re-enabled some of these strategies that were always like tier two, maybe tier 2.5. Um, you know, you'd run across this every now and then someone would have like, like an artifact aggro deck or they'd have yeah, some some kind of boggles-ish deck or maybe like a blue-white flyers deck or whatever, but these very, very low-curve aggro decks that were just trying to get down one-drop creatures and suit them up and get in a bunch of damage, stuff like that. And Laris has really reinvigorated these archetypes. And it's, I, I, I don't know, I just enjoy Laris and Standard, to be honest. We're going to talk about companions more in a little while. But decks like this, for the most part, I've been enjoying the fact that Laris enables them in the meta, and I think that it adds to the diversity. <laughs> it's it's funny you say that, because it cuts off such a huge amount of the cards you can play. <laughs> it just takes all permanents uh, that are three costs or more and cuts them out of your deck, but you're not wrong in any way. Luris is in standard. 
specifically in standard. I, I, I can't stress enough. I'm only talking about standard. Luris in standard is what they wanted, I think, companion to be, which is it pushes you to make your decks more efficient and makes them more competitive across a number of colors. I don't know how many Luris decks you've made. I think I've made like 50. Like you were saying, every kind of aggressive deck like blue-white flyers and mono-white ginger brute and uh, steel overseer artifact beatdown and all of these things can be Luris decks. But I've also built Luris decks like um, the land destruction deck, the Jun land destruction deck. That video just became my most popular video of, of this year so far. That video is sweet, by the way. If you're listening, haven't watched it. I mean, that deck is a 10 out of 10 on, <laughs> on the fun factor. <laughs> yeah, like that deck is a Luris deck, which seems silly because it has casualties of war in it and a bunch of four mana sorceries, but it works. And I have Demure Control that runs Luris and the lock quote unquote, is Omen of the Sea and Luris. You just sacrifice it, scry two, put another counter on top of your deck, and then every turn you play it again. <laughs> Savagery. So, you know, the, these decks are pretty silly in standard, quite honestly, but they're all worth brewing and trying out, and Luris makes it all work. Of course, I can't defend Luris in other formats, and... Nobody else can either, apparently, including Wizards of the Coast, because it's already been banned in Legacy, and it's the only card to not be restricted but banned in Vintage for power reasons, whereas other cards were banned because they're dexterity or anti-cards. Pretty funny. It says something, doesn't it? I, mean, I, I can't even imagine how frustrating it would be to be playing a format like Vintage and to have your opponent just consistently free-rolling Luris on turn one. I mean, you've got Andrea Mangucci main-decking two deadweights in Vintage. <laughs> you! Look at you watching watching that Vintage content. Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of Mangucci, and uh, he's, you know, notable Vintage lover, and he's been posting a series of tweets about Laris and Vintage, and uh, he's a huge fan of that Deadweight. So, so Laris Deadweight, Vintage playable combination of cards there. I'm going to lasso you now. Come back to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come, drift back in there, Dogie. So anyway, I like seeing an increased focus in the competitive magic scene on Best of One. I'm not necessarily suggesting that I think it should be like you know, like an evergreen pro tour format or something like that. But I just think that it's cool that for the best of one lovers out there, we're actually having opportunities to play in events that feature that and have opportunities to actually win real money. So for me, overall, this arena open is a win. And I'm just curious, CGB, if you have any other thoughts about, like you've been watching some streamers play the event today Obviously, you know, you've been thinking about it a lot just with your best of one lists and stuff. What else are you seeing happening in this best of one matter that you think is being successful today in the arena open? I watched Crokey's. It was one of the more exciting streams to watch. I, I think that we do lose focus um, as players. We forget how fun it is to watch best of one as a spectator and how much more digestible it is. 
as opposed to, oh, they queued a, up into a Luca mirror. I can take the next hour of my life off. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm going to go walk my dog or something. But when somebody is playing best of one, uh, they are only a few clicks from the next game, which could be totally different. It's a much more addictive watching experience. I would have had more work done today if that weren't the case. So uh, Crokey's was really fun to watch. Running a, an interesting take on Winota for color Winota with um, Agent of Treachery, of course, trying to cheat that out. And as he puts it, trying to high roll a high RNG format is just fun. And it certainly turned out that way. I'm going to try to get this right. I think I wrote it down somewhere. I tuned in af- when he was like 0-2 in like his fourth or fifth run, something like that. <laughs> let, me, <laughs> let me get this. It, it, I mean, this was hilarious for me. Yeah, this is what I put in Discord. So Crokey's went 3-3 with this deck, then 2-3, then 2-3, then 1-3. He was 0-1 when I tuned in. He ended up 1-3 in that. He said one more. He hit 7-2. Crushed wow. it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> close what's is that seventh times the charm something like that (laughs) he got there and it was content gold there were over four thousand viewers and that that is something that gets lost in this if you don't make content and you want to be upset with a tournament structure that's totally legit but man the people watching are this is so much more fun to watch i i can't stress that enough yeah yeah and i i mean i think it's you know, the people who enjoy watching your videos and your stream are a testament to that, that there are just many, many more ways to play Magic than just the old best of three. So, yeah, I, just the recognition of this uh, really makes me happy. I think it's great. So what was Crokey's playing, by the way? Yeah, four-color Winota, Joiner of Forces. Okay. Grazers, Goose. He had, instead of Charming Prince, he had a card whose name I can't even remember. Maybe you will from your draft days. It's a two-mana 2-1. I think it's a Wayfinder. Look at your top four and put a creature or land on top. On the top of your deck. Yep, yep. I think that's Solhana Wayfinder. Yeah, that's the name of it. Um, (laughs) He's running that card. He says you could Charming Prince for a Scry 2 or you could Wayfinder for a Scry 4. That, you know, I mean, yeah. he's got a point, you know, especially well, yeah. when you either want to get Winota on top of your deck or if you maybe even want to perch an Agent of Treachery on the top of your deck so you can hit it off of your Winota. That seems like a pretty decent idea to me. Uh, was he playing Neoform in his deck? No. Okay. Because I know, like, I've seen a lot of these Winota decks going around that have adopted green uh, in some measure to play Neoform. And mm-hmm. I think that that's like an interesting version of the deck. Brad Nelson put out a, a tweet, standard superstar, awesome player Brad Nelson tweeted like an 80-something percent win rate over more than 20 games with a four-color Winota list. Then he put out a YouTube video the next day after I had already recorded with that list. And I put out a YouTube video the day after that with that list. I was 10-1 and one in Mythic. Uh, the title of the video was Multi Five Win on Turn Three, <laughs> which is abs. That I mean, that's that's stupid. Yeah, it, I have a feeling this is going to transition into ban talk really easily with the direction we've taken this. Yeah, in, indeed. I mean, I think I think we're all itching to get there. Um, I just you know before we wrap up this 
comment. Was there anything else that you were seeing in the arena open just in terms of what people were bringing or the style of play? Was there anything else about watching it that stood out to you as far as the best of one format? More interactivity than I expected. Um, Aaron Gertler had a really sweet Esper list that was running a lot of Heartless Act and um, just a very interesting build that he had. So you should check that Esper list out, Esper Yorian. I was going to ask if it was Yorian. I know that he's been playing Esper Yorian a lot in Historic. And he and, and I wondered, I was looking at his list, and it actually, a lot of his Historic list was playable in Standard. And I was actually wondering whether he was going to be doing that in Standard. And maybe he has, and I just missed that part of the stream. Well, let me give you some highlights. You want some highlights from this Esper list? Hit me with it. Two Disfigure. Four Charming Prince, one Shepherd of the Flock. By the way, there are, there are no Agents of Treachery in this deck. <laughs> okay. In case you were wondering about that Charming Prince, just something to think about. All right. There's four Heartless Act. So Doomblade in Best of One, which, you know, that's... Some people would say you don't do that because you run up against creatures and it's a dead card and all that. But there's three Agonizing Remorse and four Thought Erasure. So it's Hand Hate Personified. There's four Omens of the Sun, but there's no Luca in this deck. There's um, four Disinformation Campaign. I was going to ask if he was running Disinformation Campaign in Standard. Yep. I mean, it's kind of genius when you think about Yarian, right? It looks like it until, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I feel like I tried it. I feel like I tried exactly this, and I, I guess I didn't go far enough because the end, the end of the story is that there are three Archon of Sun's Grace. There are two Elspeth Conquers Death. And there's another Yorian in the main deck with another one in the sideboard. This deck is a pure, you, you could say, a pure Yorian deck. Like that, it, it doesn't try to blink agent. It doesn't try to cheat agent. It doesn't try to do any of that. It's go over the top is just the Yorian itself. Yeah. Which, I mean... I love it because what Aaron Gertler has basically done is taken something that that looks very much like a fair Esper list from a year or two ago, right? A, a deck playing a lot of cards like this would have been viable in some of the previous standards. Of course, you know, maybe running some Planeswalkers as your top end or something like that. But what he's decided to do is basically take a fair-ish list that just becomes very unfair when he repeatedly resolves Yorian, you know, Yorian into Charming Prince, into blinking all of his various enchantments and getting more value out of them. So I kind of like it, right? Because you read the list and it's got a bunch of cards in it that we basically think of as being underwhelming or, or only very marginally playable and standard. But he's he's just leaned in in typical Aaron Gertler fashion to just try to break one or two cards or one or two mechanics as ferociously as he possibly can. I really, I love this because, again, it's just someone who's willing to take a look at a card and just say, what else could I do with this, right? Like, Yorian is an amazing yes. card. And and I, I, I think, okay, so Yorian is so interesting, right? Because I think Yorian's one of these cards that has made us 
really just reconsider a lot of things about magic, right? Yorian A has made us reconsider the whole notion that having more than 60 cards in your deck, in your main deck, is just like unplayable garbage. Why would you ever do it? This has just been like the byline for magic basically since the beginning of time. And Yorian has come along and said, eh, you know, maybe, maybe. Definitely. And I also think that we see more and more people just playing cards like Omen of the Sun unironically in Standard. And it turns out that cards like that, I mean, okay, maybe it still doesn't meet the bar in a deck that's not planning to blink it, but it's kind of shocking how playable that card has ended up being in Standard. Oh, it's Lingering Souls, but better because you know you're going, if, if, you're, if you know your turn five is a good Yorian, it's better than Lingering Souls. Yeah, a absolutely. A card that was like, competitive across multiple formats for years. Yeah, and just incidental things like that, the two-point life gain, and of course the ability to scry with it if you end up needing to do that. So I just love how decks like this are really forcing us to re-examine our assumptions about what's good. And if there's one thing that I can give Magic play design props for recently, it is that they, you know, they've printed a lot of ridiculously powerful cards that maybe shouldn't have been printed, but they've also printed a lot of cards that are just surprisingly playable that you wouldn't have really imagined would be. Um, And so I think that they've done a really, really good job with a lot of these cards that are basically essentially draft commons that end up actually having a surprising amount of play in standard. And the Omen cycle, I think, is a really, really excellent example of that. And, you know, like you were saying with just recurring your Omen of the Sea, there's just so many powerful things that you can actually end up doing with these cards. I love it. I mean, Aaron Gertl is the man, really, is what it comes down to. <laughs> and now it's time to announce the winner of this last month's $20 giveaway. And the prize in this case goes to Twitter user Chris Marchbanks. So thanks so much, Chris, for following us on Twitter and for being a listener and supporter of the podcast. Reach out to us via Twitter Messenger or any of the other channels, and uh, I will work on getting you your prize. Thanks to everyone who has participated, and I'm going to put these contests on hold for a little while. I'm thinking about some other ways to incentivize people to participate with the ArenaCraft community. So thanks to everyone who participated over the last couple of months. It's been a pleasure, and uh, I've been happy to award these prizes. I will say that Wizards has... If, if their mission was to challenge their players to re-examine what they know about the game, they certainly have. And now we get to a point where the players have responded, and they say, okay, we adjusted but now we broke your game, which brings us to Monday, right? Indeed, indeed, yep. And, you know, we've been kind of skirting around the whole issue so far. And and here's the thing. I think what our conversation so far highlights to me is that you basically can't discuss standard. And to a larger extent, you can't discuss magic right now without ending up at this point, you know, with this point where you're like dot, 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 and this seems too broken, right? Or, right. And I'm not sure if this is cool. 
<laughs> so, so let's make a distinction here because a lot of people will roll their eyes and they'll be like, yeah, magic players are always complaining about how broken things are, right? Or magic players are always complaining about the top handful of cards in every format. Magic players are always complaining when they print some new busted card that that really shakes things up. And that's true. I mean, that you know, you can't discount the fact that magic players, I mean, as long as cards are being printed, magic players will come up with something to flock to Twitter to and just spray paint their vitriol all over the internet. But I I think it's safe to say that magic design has just been edging towards and and finally seems to have just kind of broken the floodgates open towards a game which is just incredibly swingy and cards being incredibly overpowered and i think a lot of people have been expecting this this particular banned and restricted announcement and probably a lot of people think that it's well overdue by now of course it's always fun to see how whenever stuff like this comes up, people are dragging out their laundry lists, you know? Oh They're like, God. well, I put Agent of Treachery on my own ban list four months ago. Maybe Wizards finally, you know, or like you got like your Teferi mob <laughs> out in the street again. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's 100% true. So what are you thinking about this, CGB? Like, because I think we all have the cards that we'd love to see get banned. What do you think is actually going to happen on Monday? Should we dial it? Like, I, I assume most people know that this is coming, but just to clarify for those in the back who, for whatever reason, use this podcast as their only news source in the arena, we want to be your news source. Wizards announced the classic cryptic announcement of the announcement. And they said that on Monday possibly today, if you're listening on Monday, that they are going to announce a band list change. I'm trying to think of exactly how they phrase it, but basically there will be an announcement about bands that will affect historic and standard. And they said that they will address the companion mechanic, whatever the heck addressing a mechanic in a band announcement means. And people have pretty much exploded on the internet with wanting to talk bands. So this is us feeding the internet what it so dearly loves. Historic, I think Winota has to go 100%. I, I think that that is just done. I put out a video with that deck that is, it's way too consistent and absolutely stupid. If you haven't played against Naya Umori Winota in Historic, you should just to find out how bad it can be. The card that powers it, it doesn't even run Agent of Treachery. It just gets Angrath's Marauders, which is a human that costs seven, pretty reasonable cost to a human, was completely unplayable before. But when you cheat it out with Winota, this is a 4-4 that doubles the damage of everything. Everything gets an Embercleave. Everybody, you get an Embercleave, you get an, everybody has an Embercleave. So... This deck also has Llanowar Elves, which makes a turn three Winota reasonable and consistent. And it, it just ends the game that quick. And it's 100% creatures. So if you just try to kill Winota or deal with Winota, it doesn't really matter. Um, they just kill you with all the other things. Just You could sweep them twice. They're just going to draw more creatures and eventually play the Winota and kill you. 
They just don't have that many bad hits in the deck other than the Marauder itself. Everything else is reasonable. So I think that in Historic, we are done with Winota. And I think there's a chance we're done with Nexus of Fate. What do you think? Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I I hadn't thought much about the Nexus of Fate. I Partially just because I've been playing a lot of Best of One Historic. And Mm -hmm. I haven't been playing a lot of Best of Three. I've assumed that Nexus is as annoying as it ever was. So I, it's it's a card I would never be surprised to see removed from the format. Have there been any developments recently that have specifically led you to think that this particular time might be the one for it to get the axe? Yeah, they announced a mythic championship with historic as the format. So I just... So you were just thinking they might be kind of cleaning up the format a little bit to... Yeah, who wants to watch Endless Nexus Loops? Totally. Well, it's true that in general, I've been like with the release of the Anthology 3 and with Historic, you know, moving to ranked Evergreen, it has definitely made me wonder whether we're going to see some other broad sweeping changes to the format. Like, you know, yeah, like I wouldn't be surprised to see Nexus and Field of the Dead just go off the menu again or something like that. Um, Maybe Field of the Dead is is not strong enough or is is being kept in check by stuff like like Ulamog actually turns out to be a fairly good answer to Field of the Dead. Be good. And actually for that matter, Phyrexian Obliterator is a pretty it's a pretty solid card to run against Field of the Dead as well. The card in that deck is the uh Gem Palm Polluter. Yes. Yes. That that is if you it, it is a um it counts all the zombies on the battlefield, not just the ones you control, so you can just cycle and kill your opponent with their own zombie horde. That's uh you know, there's there's plenty of fun ways to attack that deck. So maybe that maybe that deck's safe in the format for now. But uh yeah, I, I would also not be surprised to see them just make some other kind of like sanity check bans in the historic format, kind of like they did in Vintage with, or maybe it was Legacy with Zerda, where they said, you know, this companion's not currently dominating, but we kind of feel like it's just going to end up being a problem and it eventually will. So yeah, I I would not be surprised at all to see a Nexus ban, to be honest. But I, I totally agree with you. I think Winota is going for sure in historic now, here's, here's something that I'm curious about is, do you actually think that Winota might get the axe in standard as well? Well, as we transition to standard, I think that there is a case, and I think there are grounds for one of the largest mass bannings in the history of Magic the Gathering. I can't stop wondering if they have the courage to do it. So before I address Winota individually, let me put it this way. We have seen pretty much since El- War of the Spark and definitely amplified in Eldraine and now Ikoria, this design philosophy that says we are going to shake magic up. We are going to make everybody re-examine this game that we love for better. And sometimes I think for worse. I, obviously, they think overall it's for better because they're willing to do it. So they have pushed the envelope with all these sets and the power level of these cards deliberately, in my opinion. I mean, they even said as much in an announcement when they banned Oko, right? So when you have that philosophy, there is this thing, this justification that you have to have when you're taking these steps, right? We're going to sell more packs. It's going to be great. Some people will be mad. But hey, guys, 
If it's too much, we'll ban the cards. We don't want to, but we can always ban it if it's too bad, right? That's what you say to yourself. But then the time comes where you have to freaking do it. <laughs> so do they have the guts? Because they have been holding on to some of these cards for a long freaking time. Um, and some of the cards we're going to talk about are not new to standard by any stretch of the imagination. The ones that stand out to me are Teferi Time Raveler, Nissa Who Shakes the World, Wilderness Reclamation. These cards have been here and they have been making people miserable and it's been long enough. And are you going to do something about it? I hope this is the time. What Winota Joiner Forces has in common with some of the things that we're going to talk about, like Fires of Invention, Wilderness Reclamation, Nissa Who Shakes the World, it breaks the mana. It, it breaks the cost of what you pay for thing in magic. Like magic is an ecosystem. It's built around. We pay this much. We take this risk. risk we make this play. And these cards just break it and say, well, here is an avalanche of mana and value. And your opponent probably just can't recover from that. And that's the way it feels when the opponent gets this avalanche of mana and they have cards to put it into. It just, you're so far behind. If they're the first one to do that, how do you come back from that? And that's what standard has become. Winota is, in my opinion, a big part of it. If you took Agent of Treachery away from the Winota deck, you still have to gut check every single human that you print until it rotates or is banned. And we don't know what's coming down the pipe. We really don't. I think that this card is just egregiously broken. Like, why would they make this card? What is, it, it works once, right? The first, the first hour of you playing Winota is like, oh my God, this is so insane. This is crazy. Watch Brad Nelson. He's, this is a guy who's been playing Magic for like 20 years. He's one of the best standard players. He's succeeded at the highest level. He put up a video of him playing best of one on his YouTube channel with Winota. And he's just like having a jolly happy time every time he's spinning the wheel and stealing everybody's lands on turn three. <laughs> just crushing them i can tell you that wears off that wears off really fast and then you're done with the deck and you're not going to play it anymore because that wasn't magic and then you play against it and you just immediately like ugh, should i go down my if they're brave they will ban all these cards list and you can either agree or ask why or interview. And then I will also have you give a personal ban list if I miss anything. This sounds excellent. Let's, right. let's do it. This is like, this is all ban list gas or ass, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the first one, Winota, we just talked about it. Yeah, let's ban her for sure. Second card, Wilderness Reclamation. Yeah, Wilderness Rec. So this is a tough one. This has always been on the edge of Broken. To be honest, I think that this is one of the the least egregious broken cards on the list, just because the only combo that it's really turned out is any good with Reclamation is the expansion explosion combo, and the deck has frequently not been good enough in standard to be tier one. So I would say we could leave Reclamation for the moment. What about if we ban card number three to Fairy Time Raveler? Yeah, so Teferi is just like, I don't know. I think that of all the cards that we're considering here, Teferi is the one that has probably attracted the most hate over time. And I think they should ban Teferi. Will they ban Teferi? 
I don't think they will. Teferi's like, um, he's protected, you know what I mean? He's, he's got a friend on the inside. He's headlining the upcoming core set, and I just don't know that they're gonna have the chutzpah, the audacity to ban Teferi in standard. However, I would love to see him get banned. How about if I throw a conspiracy theory at you? Lay it on me. How would you feel if there was a card, if there were card or cards to fairy planeswalkers in the next set, which is to fairy themed corset? How would you feel if those cards were even better than to fairy time raveler? <laughs> yeah, I would. Uh, I would feel worried. Some combination of worried and a little sick to my stomach. <laughs> exactly. So, what do they have to be? A little worse than Teferi Time Raveler. Legit? Yeah, that would make sense. Okay. Nobody's going to play them if they still have Teferi freaking Time Raveler. That's a good point. This is the perfect time to ban this card. People might actually play the new Teferis and maybe even do some damage control on this iconic Planeswalker that Wizards wants to push. Let's say, though, supposing the Teferis aren't as good as Teferi... But they're still fine. And because Teferi Time Raveler exists, you're incentivized to be playing some kind of blue-white Teferi-ish nonsense deck anyway, right? So supposing that good old Teferi 3 is kind of like the, the leader of the pack. What do, you, what do you think about that theory? If you want to do it that way, but I still just think that this is a good way to ensure that, number one, some people are happy. A lot of people hate this card. They had to know that they have to know it's one of the most hated cards. And number two, you actually have a chance to move some new product. I mean, other card games do this. They nerf powerful cards right before cards that are semi-related to them are about to come on the market because now those cards matter. Yeah, it's, it's a cool idea. And to be honest, like if that's Wizards' kind of nefarious way of pushing more cardboard, I'm down with it. But, you know, both ends of it work for me. Banning Teferi and Standard works for me, and then printing slightly less powerful Teferis also work for me. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, in I'm, I'm in favor of your theory. All right. Yeah. Next card. Next card. Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath. I don't think that Oro's going to get a ban. And to be honest, Oro hasn't seemed that problematic to me lately in Standard. Now, that's not me saying that it's not a problematic card uh anyone who's had to fight through like six castings of oro in a single game of magic knows that that card is kind of ridiculous but i don't know i mean has oro even been a terror in standard in the last month or so my argument is that uro is the reason that we can't play anything close to traditional magic in the past you could run things if you wanted to kill a creature like Winota, you could just run things like Doomblade, like Heartless Act, you know, uh, which we have in standard right now. Nobody plays it. Why? Because when you have a one-for-one -one removal spell sitting in your hand and your opponent plays Uro, gains three life, draws a card, brings back Uro, gains three life, draws a card, and you Heartless Act the thing, like, you, you are still so far behind. It's just this free... It's this free bottle of endless resources attached to one card that almost completely invalidates aggro in a best-of-three format because the life gain is just incidental. You can't burn your way through an Oro. It's just going to happen again and again. And it's so repetitive. 
it just over and over and over again. It's not, in my opinion, fun. And there are other cards that I think are the reason that we don't play spot removal. That spot removal is no longer an answer to a problem. And one of them is Hydroid Crisis, which I think was the first card where the light bulb goes off like, oh, this we can't play this magic anymore. Countering this spell, we're still behind. Removing this creature, we're still behind. But I think Uro took it to 11, where all the opponent has to do is play any cards that go to the graveyard and land and Uro. And I just... I don't know. I think it's a repetitive scourge on the format. Maybe it doesn't need to get banned. And I don't think they will to be clear either, but I'm very sick of the card already. And I can only imagine what it would do in a format that um, lacks the other cards that we're talking about. So that's why I put it on the list. The other thing I want to stress there, Uro invalidates removal like Doomblade, like I said. And Teferi invalidates counter magic like Disdainful Stroke. Like These two have a similarly polarizing effect on the format where you just don't even want to be playing the interactive cards that magic has historically leaned on when formats are out of balance. So I think they both represent a format out of balance, um, at least in the way that we've come to know the game. So that's why I mentioned both of them for the most part. I'm going to move to the next one. You ready? Lay it on me. Agent of Treachery. Ooh, Agent of Treachery. I mean, this is definitely public enemy number one at the moment in standard, I think. Now, okay, here's my thought on Agent of Treachery. I do actually think Agent of Treachery is definitely on the chopping block to be banned. Now, to be clear, I think that Wizards in the past has successfully identified that this card didn't really need to be banned until the printing of Ikoria because all of the checks that they placed on the card, namely it just being a seven-cost card, uh, were, were basically working up until now. Like, people weren't realistically putting Agent of Treachery into tier one decks and certainly not into tier zero decks because it was just a little bit too hard to get down it was a little bit too hard to get off and quite frankly like for example a lot of simic decks of your just had like a bigger finish in mind right simic decks weren't thinking i'm gonna spend all this time ramping and then i'm gonna resolve like one agent of treachery and that's going to change the game. Or, you know, Simic decks that were running the Agent-Thassa combo were like, they just, they, they, they were kind of lacking in, in other top-end areas, right? And so if you didn't get half of your combo, your deck kind of sucks, right? So there are all of these limitations that, for the most part, kept Agent in check. Now, did people like playing against it on the ladder anyway? No. No one has ever enjoyed their opponent resolving an Agent of Treachery against them, right? But, um... But yeah, I, I think that Agent was a, a fine and balanced card all the way up until the kind of double whammy of Winota and Luca in Standard, which both just kind of highlighted Agent as like basically the best hit in your deck when you're trying to cheat something into play in Standard currently. It, that that was all a long way around of saying that <laughs> I I do think that Agent is... Either Agent is going to get banned or we're going to see some explanation from Wizards as to why some other card getting banned was the answer instead of banning the Agent, right? So they're going to they're gonna have to ban one side of it. And I don't think that they're going to ban Luca. So yeah, I, so I think the Agent is probably going to get the axe. 
I think that Agent is going to be one of the first cards. Maybe not. I guess I'd have to go through all of the bands ever to analyze this, but it feels to me like the first card banned for flavor purposes. And <laughs> I will, I'll explain what I mean. Um, so Agent of Treachery, like you said, a bit of a meme. And then out comes Ikoria. And from the get-go, this set is built around something very specific. Big monsters! Yeah. Oh my god, just watch the trailer. Just watch the preview streams. Just watch the PR material. Big monster <laughs> magic! Oh my gosh, kaiju magic. You guys, don't you want to play kaiju magic? That That is everything Ikoria was built up to be. And they put in multiple colors across multiple types of decks, the ability to cheat out giant monsters for their monster magic set. Look at, look at five mana Vivian who hasn't even seen much play. Look at Luca, look at Winota, right? And then what does everybody immediately discover is actually the best thing to do? Just take your opponent's lance. One word. Yoink. <laughs> I think that yeah. this card is not actually the problem with magic. I've said this many times. I think that seven mana card should be able to be checked traditionally. But I think it's got to go because without it, their whole Ikoria thing is a total bust. It's DOA. Nobody can play big monster magic with this card being the target. It wasn't supposed to be the target. It wasn't supposed to be what you get every time with a Vivian minus or a Luca minus or you're wrong. It was supposed to be more fun than this. And because this card is here, that failed. So I think it goes. Yeah, I agree. And and specifically with the big monster thing, Agent of Treachery is one of the single biggest reasons why we just can't mutate in standard right now, right? <laughs> right. Yep. Good example. You throw five of your best creatures on the stack, and your opponent's like, thanks, I'll have that. We've all been there. This bad beat story. We know what happens. We know. We know. <laughs> yeah, so so anyway, I, I think that you put it well in that Wizards has historically not wanted too much land destruction in their game. And you know what's worse than land destruction is land stealing. So, yeah, I, I think the agent has to go... Um, I don't think that it necessarily should have needed to go, but here we are. Next card, Nissa who shakes the world. Nissa who shakes the world. So this is one where I feel like for 90% of its tenure in standard, I would have agreed with you that it needed to get banned. Do you think that Nissa is still a problem in the face of all of this other crap? I think that if this other crap leaves and we're back to turn three Nissa into hydrid crisis shaping the format and being the only thing that's right, then I think that people are going to be just as unhappy. Like that, that is a good point. I mean, Nissa was kind of like quietly the nastiest card in standard for a long time. And again, it's one of those cards that wizards kind of like tried to put a smoke screen on or something they were like oh well we'll just ban oko it'll be fine we'll just ban veil of summer it'll be fine you don't you don't need to worry about the woman standing behind the curtain over here right the actual menace of standard so it it's definitely possible that the the post ban meta game could be utterly dominated by nissa again so here's here's what i wonder nissa is very not companion friendly right 
So like there are very few companions that actually work with Nissa in their deck. And it's one of the reasons why I think Nissa could actually end up being balanced in the format if, and this is a big if, if the changes to companions don't nerf them so much that people, you know, really end up scaling back on playing them. So that's that's one of the things that I'm curious about. I feel like if they hit the companion mechanic hard enough to where a lot of people end up not wanting to run them anymore, then I do think that you need to start looking at, you know, your Nyssa and, and wondering whether she needs to get banned. But I think that if we're living in this world where people are still running Yorian, still running Obosh, still running Laris, uh, maybe even still running Umori, then I think that that's like a strong enough power check in the format that Nissa might actually be able to stick around. So that's kind of my take on that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Next card. Fires of Invention. Uh, fires is, a, is Fires is ass. That's that's all I have to say about Fires. You know, basically the moment I played with Fires and thought about it at all, I was like, when's this card getting banned? So, mm-hmm. yeah, Fires is the top of my ban list. Uh, maybe Fires might actually be like my most, the card I most want to see banned in Standard. I really hope that Wizards just does the responsible thing and rips the Band-Aid off and just gets this card out of the format because it's it's so miserable. Like... No fires deck is ever going to be trying to do fair things, and that is true. And I just think that like the the combination, it's just it's everything about the card, right? It's activated abilities, it's Castle Ventress, it's Shark Typhoon, it's it's building a deck that just wants to do the same thing every single game for the last. What's it going to be? Nine months? Nine months of this? Now, when Fires was spoiled, I said that a four-mana enchantment couldn't define or, be, or like break a format because you could always counter it. You could always play cheap enchantment removal. Um, Teferi was the thing that ruined everything that... Like, my assumptions about how that worked were ruined by Teferi Time Raveler, because now you can't just counter it because you can't even play an instant, you know? So I don't know. I I don't know if Fires is still broken without Teferi, but I don't care. I'm at a point where I don't want to play this anymore. I don't want to see this anymore. I want people to have, heaven forbid, the restriction that Magic the Gathering may, players may be familiar with of only being able to cast spells by tapping mana for them of appropriate colors. Is that asking too much, Arjuna? Is that asking too much in this world in 2020? You know what I think is actually going to happen, CGB? I think that one of the new Teferis in, in the core set is going to have like Lavinia stapled to it. And that's how they're going to try to answer fires. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it, it would like plus one to make all your mana any color and all your spells cost zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the real thing is that the, the next fires are just going to be a Teferi. Oh, stop. stop. I can't, I can't. But I mean, that anyway, fires. Um, last card on my personal list. This one might be a hate target. Okay, I, I, I admit it. Cauldron Familiar. Oh, yeah. Get get rid of Cauldron Familiar. You know, 
So it's funny because I was playing standard yesterday, um, which is not a thing that I necessarily do a lot of these days, because even though I'm trying to run an arena focused podcast, I actually want to enjoy magic, right? So <laughs> as as people who watch my stream will tell, I've been playing an awful lot of War of the Spark draft on my stream. I've been playing an awful lot of Historic on my stream. And one of the reasons for that is that I went back and I just played a whole heck load of Standard over the last couple of days. And after playing Standard for a couple of days in a row, for like a sizable number of hours and just kind of remembering what was going on in the standard format, I walked away thinking, could we please just unprint Throne of Eldraine? Yeah. Just the set. Rotate it. Just rotate it. Just get rid of it, dude. Just get rid of it. It's like every card I was consistently hating to play against was an Eldraine card. I was like, the cat oven combo, I hate it. It's so obnoxious. It's, it's also specifically an example of a mechanic that gets worse in digital right so like a lot of the design choices they've made lately are kind of favoring digital and they're easier to play in digital but cat oven is just miserable in digital so agreed and they haven't taken any steps to make it easier either so it's unwat like i say that best of one is fun to watch there's an exception yeah, <laughs> cat yeah. Oven, as soon as you get two cat ovens going i am out I have other places to be and other things to do with my life as a spectator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it's like you just don't want to play Magic anymore, right? So, yeah, I, is that was that was kind of my takeaway was I was just realizing that like so many of the unfun cards that I was playing against were Eldraine cards. And I mean, okay, so we have to deal with it. It's here. And unfortunately, I don't think they're going to ban the Cat Oven combo. But... Quite frankly, it would just be a quality of life ban if they did it, mm-hmm. because so what do you, yeah, it's it's just so obnoxious and 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 it's a time waster, right? Like I think that that's one of the like they banned Sensei's Divining Top. Why? Because it was just a freaking time waster, right? And yep. and so I think for that I'm reason alone, they, they they need to get rid of it. But I, I don't think they're going to, right? Just to rat it to Assassin Cat. <laughs> assassin time assassin so that's my list is there anything you want to throw in there um you know okay so we we couldn't uh we we can't end the show without talking about companions but to be honest one of the cards that i was thinking might be on the block depending on how they choose to go about companion mechanic is actually yorian mm. i think that in standard yorian is the only companion that I think could just be too busted. Like, I think, to be honest, like a a five mana, four, five flyer that hits the battlefield and resets everything you own, that's a strong card. Like, that's a strong card even when it's not your companion. You know what I mean? Like, and as we've seen, like when your curve is Omen of the Sea into Omen of the Sun into planeswalker right and then you're just able to top your curve off with this card which resets all of that like it's it's really it's a it's messed up and the ability to cast that out of your companion zone so let's say even if they do something like let's say that they make this nerf which everyone thinks is probably the most likely with companion which is something to the effect of you have to start a card down right whether it's 
you do like a kind of a mulligan kind of a thing. You put a card back on the bottom of your library or whether they come up with some other way to kind of even out the card parity. Even if they do that, I think that Yorian will still be a problem in the standard format. And I think that Aaron Gertler is kind of proving it with his deck, right? Is that you can yes. you can build a deck which is basically, as LSV would call it, Cheons. Your whole deck is just Cheons. It's cards that are crappy, right? Crappy yeah, cards beats that... On, beats on Paul Cheon. <laughs> right here on the Arena Craft Podcast. Good job. Good job. Get him in there. Throw the daggers. Paul Cheon's got a thick skin. I mean, he's friends with LSV, you know? But I think that that Yorian is is one of these cards that like it's so powerful that you can play mediocre draft commons in your standard deck and get away with it. So um, so if there were a card for me to add to the list, it would actually be Yorian. I think that Yorian is dangerous, and it's another one of those cards where like no good's gonna come of Yorian being good in your format. You know what I mean? It's it's just I think that Yorian is one of those cards that's well it's well balanced for a format like Historic, because Historic has like turn two burning tree emissary. Historic has Ulamog. Historic has all of these kind of powerful things that can match it. But I think in standard the amount of advantage that you can get from playing Yorian and especially the amount of advantage that you can get playing Yorian and then just like Teferi returning your Yorian to your hand. At what point do you want to end your life in the middle of a magic game when your opponent resolves that second Yorian? You think Yorian is good if there is no Teferi Time Raveler and no Agent of Treachery and no Fires of Invention? I I do. And I think it's one of these cards which, again, is like from now on, just like you said with Winota, from now on, every card that has an ETB effect has to be measured against the Yorianometer, right? It's Mm -hmm. like Yorian is just going to be looming over your format from now on. And in in most older formats, it's like a five mana card, and that's just too much to pay, or or it's a reasonable amount to pay, right? So in most other formats, Yorian's just kind of balanced. But in standard, I I don't know. I think it's too strong, and I think that the implications are are too scary. So, what about the conspiracy theory that Yorian sells more cards because people have to build bigger decks? Magic players go digging, man. That's all I got to say. Magic players are really digging with that one. (laughs) (laughs) I just like, you know me, I like some devil's advocate. I like some discourse. I think, I think the, for me, the conspiracy theory, the actual conspiracy theory with Yorian, which a lot of people have noted is just that Wizards wants every format to be commander. So that's, Mm -hmm. I think that that's the actual conspiracy theory because wizards, you know, if, if you, for some reason, haven't heard this metric, wizards has basically said that they believe that commander is the most played magic format in the world. Um, it's certainly, you could say it's the most popular kind of codified format that casual players tend to play in magic. So I think that um, it's not a coincidence that play design this year has been really pushing us towards these cards that look like Commander, cards that go into Commander, cards that remind me of uh, us of Commander, and cards that make the game feel more like Commander. So I think yep. that's I think Yorian is just kind of like the commandering of of Matt. And I mean Lutri as well. Like Lutri is just kind of a naked 
Well, it's just, come on now. Come on now. <laughs> I mean, like, banned like, in Commando. Card may as well have never been printed. <laughs> I mean, that's true. That's true. But but you you can't look at that card and not imagine someone in Wizards is like, you know, rubbing their fingers together, being like, Mwah. So why wasn't Yorian a hundred cards? Yorian, <laughs> do you think they really were worried that a hundred was too much? I, I anyway, I, we we shouldn't talk about even banning companions without be, talk about the kind of very open ended, hard to decipher verbiage of ch- addressing the companion mechanic. What because this could mean a lot of things. I'm going to turn to you, true expert, podcast host, Arjuna. What does it mean when they address a mechanic in a band announcement? I think that they they mention it by name. This is this is the basic English definition of the word address. They're like, "Hello, companion. I acknowledge you." I, I think <laughs> we we are aware that companions are a thing we printed in our game that some of you may have played with. And maybe experiencing joy or frustration with that—that that would be it, right? That's the sentence that is addressing the companion. They—they they, they have sufficiently addressed the companion mechanic. Now let's move on to these juicy bands. So yeah, I think that they—they've left it vague. I do think that they will make a change. And again, like I said, I think the most likely change to be made is this notion of maintaining card parity, because I think that that will that'll get rid of the most egregious use of companions. Like, for example, people running these Loris control decks that have like, hey, hey, (laughs) these people. (laughs) Hey, I mean, I'm a buyer, man. I was... You know, I was one of the first people I knew who was picking up the Grixis Laris control deck. So I've been no. Oh no yeah, I have a lot it. of friends who are control players. Says says every mono green like fanboy. Yeah, I bet. Go on. Hey man, I hang out with people who play creatures. All right, uh, <laughs> but but I think I think that doing that will address you know like uh, people playing Kahira in modern right um in these these like blue white control decks in modern playing kahira because hey it's a free roll so i i definitely think that's step one um it's actually hard for me to imagine them doing anything else with companions really so so you're talking about some kind of a like discard a card like in in a nutshell and maybe it has to do with mulliganing at the start of the game maybe it has to do with discarding a card yeah i do that's the solution i i think that that's the most likely solution it's the only solution i've heard so far that has sounded at all compelling to me what about you i hate that I, I think, why, why start now? Why do we suddenly care about card parity now when we're printing draw card in every freaking playable magic card? I mean, if you were saying that there, Uro isn't a problem, Uro's like pretty much doing that, plus you get to ramp. It's like, <laughs> it's free mana and no card parity of any kind. So, I mean, I get what you're saying, and I think a lot of people think that that's the solution. I think that I think that's inelegant, ugly. I think it's terrible, quite frankly. I, I hate most things about it. Maybe it should have been printed that way in the, begin, in the beginning, 
But are we really going to look back at a period of magic and say that was when you could play companion for free? And people are going to be like, well, I have to discard a card at random from my hand before the start of the game to keep a companion. So I don't play it. You mean, what do you mean you could play it for free? Well, you know, people, uh, wizards, uh, it made it that way and it was too good, but that sounds fun. I want to play companion. No, no, that's too good. That's too, nope, nope. We can't have that. It's too good. I, I just, I hate it. This is a good question. Do you think that Wizards is priced in, in in a poker terminology sense, to making a change to Companion completely by what they've said? No. I mean, So they could literally just say, by the way, and Companion, we're sticking with it. Yeah, they absolutely okay. could. I was curious. I, I'm curious how many people feel the same way. I I don't put it past them whatsoever to just be like, by the way, we've heard your complaints about Companion, and we're not doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah, we've taken them under advisement, right? <laughs> okay. But there are some solutions that I think are interesting. I, I, the, the idea that you have to mulligan to put your companion into your hand sounds terrible to me. The idea that you have to discard a card sounds terrible for me, really. And I've been saying this for a while. Like The way that cards are printed now, and assuming that a lot of them are going to be legal after Monday... Like cards in hand doesn't matter as much as the board anymore. It's it's about what's going on on the board. You can have a full grip and just die if your opponent's out ahead of you and mana and actual stuff on the board doing things. Tempo is everything. I never thought I'd play a Teferi Time Raveler and bounce an omen of my opponents, but I do it all the time because at some point they're going to use that omen sitting on the battlefield to generate a bigger advantage and forcing them to spend mana to replay it is more important than the value. And that's really weird. So I think the best thing they can do if they want to adjust companion is make it cost more to put it in your hand. I think the idea of the companion tax is reasonable, whether it's three mana, two mana. Like, I don't think it can be one mana, but I think it should be like an extra two or three mana, probably sorcery speed. Why not? To put your companion from outside the game into your hand. I see. Okay, so... so at any point in the game, you can pay like X number of color non-specific mana to just have that card put into your hand. Make it, dude, make it be, make it, <laughs> I want people to actually pay mana for what they get. I want it to be the right colors too. So just make it the hybrids that correspond to their casting costs. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. So you, you have to pay the pips in the right hand corner of the card to get it into your I, hand. You sure. know, <sighs> So here's here's the thing about that though is that it doesn't solve the fires of invention problem, right? It doesn't That's solve why we got to ban it. You know, <laughs> it, it does it doesn't solve the wilderness reclamation problem, right? The problem with charging more mana for it is that we're all about cheating mana these days anyway, right? We can fix that. <laughs> this this can be fixed. Let's just take the sledgehammer. To... If we make mana matter, it's a solution. Would you agree with that? I, I would. I mean, I would. It can do all that here. It, it would require a dramatic restructuring, I think, of of the format. Um, and, I, you know, I want to say, I don't want to belabor the point, but I think that you're downplaying a little bit the significance of having to give up a card in your hand. Because I just think, like like we've been talking about before, so many so many situations with companions come down to people playing it as their last card, right? And 
So when your last card comes one card sooner in your hand, I actually do think that it can matter a lot, especially with cards like Obosh, right? I think I that... Think- yeah, that, but that's what they're designed for, right? That's why wizards wanted this in the first place. Because the point where magic gets boring, uninciting, unexciting, and uninspiring is when you run out of things to do. Right. So, so I think that's a feature, not a bug. Mm, I think that's a good point. That's a very fair point that they just want people to, to have more gas. Um, and you know, and that could that alone could be a reason why they decide to not do it. I think like one of the benefits of companion right is that you have been able to mulligan and still feel like you have a fair assurance that you're going to have a reasonable hand with your companion in play. And I think if you don't have that kind of protection, then and especially if you're digging for lands, right? Like like that's an issue. Is that let's say that you're already you know you have a companion, you're already down a card, right? So you've got a six card hand and a companion, and you're looking for lands, right? And then you mulligan into a five card plus companion hand which doesn't have very many lands then you know like you're you're still hurting right so it's it's still impacting your ability to develop your game so i think that there are a number of ways in which it's it's not just about the card advantage on turn seven it's about you know being able to have a workable hand at the beginning of the game so i think that things like that can actually they can check and and basically just put you in a more difficult situation. Like, for example, would people be as excited to build an 80-card deck with Yorian if they had to give up a card in their opening hand to do so? It's It's an interesting question, and I don't know the answer to that. But I think that it really changes the conversation. Or, or, or Laris, right? Like, would people be interested in running Laris in some of the decks that they currently do if they had to give up a card in the hand to do so? And maybe, you know, maybe it would change very little. But Here's the problem I have about that line of thinking is there's no upside. If it turns out that the companion's are no longer interesting. We just don't play them and we shadow banned all of them, but they are pretty neat cards and a lot of them are fine and I like them. Um, so there's, it's like, okay, I guess, but we made them suck. So now they don't matter. And I don't really like magic cards that completely suck. And then on the other hand, if it is right to do so, we're going to find out. The pros are going to show you that's still right to do so. And now the quote-unquote interesting thing is taken away. You just play companions because they're still that good. But now you get this feels-bad choice of, but I don't get to keep everything and I have to discard this. If you liked mulliganing so much, why don't you do it more? Because you got the free (laughs) option at the start of every game. Do you see what I'm saying? So how about this? Supposing (laughs) you have the choice at the beginning of the game. You look at your opening hand... And you have the choice to either run your companion a mulligan or to just keep your opening hand and and not be able to cast your companion that game. That'll be an interesting modification. Sure, we get to we can get to tank on turn zero. How much our, how much this card we built our whole deck around is really worth to us. The most underrated turn of the game, CGB. Make make turn zero great again. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I. You build your whole deck around a card, then you get your opening hand, and now you have to decide if you want it. I, I just don't find that interesting. I guess some people might. I, I hate it. I think it's inelegant. Okay, just... so so hit me with some of your other ideas about functional functional changes they could make. So so one idea suggested that you pay initially to get the card in your hand. Is there anything else that's kind of floating around in your head about it? 
I saw a good one from Matt Sperling, sick of it, uh, a writer and a Rivals competitor, I believe. He made Rivals. Companion slot is your entire sideboard. <laughs> Ooh, that's side spicy. Card. That is spicy. I think this Shadow Bands companion from the competitive best of three format in most cases, but lets it run absolutely wild in our beloved best of one. If you want a break from companion, do you remember when we did our first show talking about companion together? The thing that I remember most from that was when we talked about there's no safe space. You cannot get away from this repetitive game thing anywhere because it's in every format in every it takes over limited it takes over constructed it takes over everything well if you could go play best of three not many people are gonna play best of three without a sideboard i think it's a cool idea likelihood of it happening you know next to zero but i i do think you know Having some kind of sideboard tax on Companion is definitely an interesting idea. Another thing I thought might be interesting, and again, this might be a ridiculous suggestion, is just that if you're going to run a Companion, you have to have the other three in your main deck. So, or, you know, or, I mean, maybe you have to, you have to have the other three even in your sideboard, right? But some, something like that to kind of force you to commit to it, I think would be interesting because then you'd really have to think like, do I really want to run three other Kahiras? Yeah, they're legendary. When you have one in your hand, it's not the, like the one that's free doesn't have the same amount of value. Yeah, yeah, the main reason you never run the extra copy is because there's just no point. And when you draw it, it's the feels bad because it's redundant with a legendary card that you got for free. Why would you ever do this? That's, yeah. That is an interesting cost. It's an idea. You it know? makes some cards like Narset, the four mana Narset, and Fire Prophecy like really good because you just discard them. You pitch them uh, exactly, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So that's that's you know that's another meditation on kind of like stipulation on on card amounts. So in conclusion, because we've already taxed the listeners for their time in their day, you're welcome. <laughs> you needed to pass those two hours anyway, right? So on your commute so what do we think is realistically going to get banned in standard in standard the fairy fires agent of treachery okay that's that's your list i think that the they're the easiest to justify the luca deck has an absurd win percentage and they have to hit it hard and I think Agent is not necessary to ban, but I think it's going to be a flavor ban. I think they should, because we were promised big monsters and we got Steal Your Lands. And, you know, forget that. that that's trash. So my predictions for Standard are actually Winota Agent. If, mm. if, I had to, if I had to put money on it, those would be my two predictions. Now... Uh, the 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 other cards you mentioned, I would love to see banned, and there are a lot of other cards on your list that I would love. I mean, any of them, get, get them all out. That sounds great to me. But um, just based on what I have seen about wizards in the past and that kind of conservatism, conservatism when it comes to banning cards, I I think that those are the two that are at the top of the list. I just want something, something mid-range to be good again. <laughs> <laughs> and and so you shall at some point in the Halcyon future. You know, uh, historic, I don't know. Mid-range might be playable in historic. 
We'll see. <laughs> okay, bro. You you go you go break it with your historic mid range deck. Let me know how it goes next week. I'm I'm. It's just gonna be hostage takers and Teferi fives all the way down. Nexus I'll, I'll, loves this. I'll, I'll report back. <laughs> all right, that's gonna do it for this week for Arena Craft Podcast. You can find this show by basically searching for Arena Craft in all of the places. I won't belabor the point. You can find Covert Go Blue by searching for Covert Go Blue in all of the places. This is the 21st century. You know what to do. CGB, um, what are you going to be playing this week moving forward? I, I suppose I suppose we have no idea, right? That's the real Which, answer. Whichever of these cards that I mentioned doesn't get banned... I'm gonna get it banned. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna make sure you're gonna cut that groove. Yeah. Um. I, to be honest, I'm probably uh, who knows what I'm gonna be playing. But if they don't ban the cards that I want to see banned, then it's probably just gonna be more draft and more historic. Mid range. Mid range. I'm gonna be playing killing. I, I, this is gonna be mid range week for our. Tune in right? next week for historic mid range. See how broken it is. Historic mid range primer. All right. That's a wrap. Thank you, CGB, and we will hope to catch up with all of you guys next week. Bye.